Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Good morning, everyone. Anybody here this morning with living faith? Is that being evidenced with abundant joy? Oh. Wait a <laughs> we are beginning a uh, new study this morning in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, we can turn in them to Philippians chapter 1. There are two interesting details about this book. One is it is Paul's most upbeat letter. And you know, as you know, he wrote quite a few New Testament letters. It, it is believed that this is his most upbeat letter. The second thing that's interesting about that is he is going through one of the most excruciating, difficult times of his life. Isn't that interesting? Upbeat letter being written during a very difficult time of his life. It is around A.D. 61. He is in Rome. Of course, we know who's in charge at that point, the madman by the name of Nero. He's under house arrest. He's there because of being evangelist, being a missionary, spreading the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Under house arrest, facing an uncertain future, possibly even facing execution. While some of his so-called Christian brothers and friends, fellow ministers actually, were actually taking delight in his unfortunate predicament. And yet in the book of Philippians, Paul is overflowing with contentment and with enthusiasm. And every page of the letter just seems to be stamped with an unfading joy. It, even though he's got all of this going on. How, how could that be, we might ask, if I were to start my talk this morning and saying, how many here are joyful? Some of you may not have ver actually verbalized, but inside you may have thought something like, what do I have to be joyful about? Some. How could this be true for Paul? How should it be true for us? If for no other reason, it's because we have Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Regardless of the circumstances. Nevertheless, for him, how could this be? I'll tell you how it could be. It is because the apostle maintained a heavenly perspective, which means, and here we go again, he got his eyes off of himself. Amen. Heavenly perspective, seeing it through the eyes of our God, therefore was confident that God was at work confident that God was in complete control, confident that God allowed all things to occur for one reason, for the ultimate purpose being his greater glory. Is that a concern of yours, that through your life he received a greater glory? Paul understood that joy doesn't depend on our circumstances our possessions, or other people. Joy, he knew to be an attitude of the heart. 
determined by confidence in God. Paul knew that he had no control over the struggles and the, the strife of life, whatever life would throw at him. He just kept his eyes on God and made a choice after choice after choice, day after day after day for all those years that he's being beat up and imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. He still knew that regardless of all of that, it came down to a choice. And his choice was, I choose joy. I choose Jesus. By yielding to the Spirit's work in his soul, Paul's trust and hoping God could guide him like an inner compass, keeping him on the divine charted course of joy, regardless of how strong the winds of adversity were blowing his way. This idea is creatively described for us in a poem that is called The, the Winds of Fate by Ella Wheeler Wilcox. One ship drives east and another drives west with the self-same winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales that tells them the way to go. In a nutshell, that's the key to experiencing ongoing joy. No matter how hard the winds of adversity blow, we have a choice. We can choose despair, to gripe or complain, to be bummed out and bitter, or we can choose, like Paul, Jesus, which is choosing joy. Abraham Lincoln once said, most folks are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. A lot of truth in that statement, don't you think? <laughs> because when it comes down to it, happiness or contentment or joy, whatever word you want to use, is a choice that we make. Oh, how we need to learn that. How we need to discover that. We need to know. Like, like for Paul, it is a habit that we can develop, a habit that we must develop in our lives, just as Paul did. You see, long-term contentment has nothing to do, as I've been saying, with circumstances of your life. That's what we've got to get over. We've got to get past that because we've allowed far too long all the stuff that goes on to control us. got to get over the fact that they have nothing to do with the circumstances, good or bad, but it has everything to do with your thoughts, your opinions, and your attitudes about the circumstances of your life, which are to be seen through a vibrant, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Over the years, there have been countless studies, as you might could imagine, on joy and contentment and happiness. A Stanford University study a few years back revealed that happy people and unhappy people tend to have similar life experiences. 
It's not that happy people experience one success after another and unhappy people experience one failure after another. They discovered their lives are pretty much the same with that, in that respect. The difference that they found, the study revealed and concluded is that the average unhappy person spends more than twice as much time thinking about the unpleasant events in their lives while happy people tend to think about things that will brighten their personal outlook. As followers of Christ, that is exactly what you and I have that which comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. We have Jesus. What more reason do we have? Where else do we need to look to get a brighter outlook other than Jesus Christ? I think we would all agree that all of our habits are learned habits. Are we all agreed? Every single one of them. There's no one who knew this better than the Apostle Paul. Think about it. I mean, really, think about it. When he first comes on the scene in Acts chapter 8, he is a man that is full of rage and anger. <laughs> right? It's like he is completely living on the negative side of life with an attitude to match, breathing threats, ready to throw somebody in jail. But then he encountered Jesus. Please, please don't let that go right on over. You know, just don't sit there and say, oh, I'm so glad for Paul. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you in terms of, have you encountered Jesus? You see, for Paul, when he did encounter Jesus, is like the flip got switched. It's like he was given a whole new default setting. Is that what people are saying of you and me? He encountered Jesus. Are you encountering Jesus? Through Christ, he learned and developed a whole new habit, a whole new way to live. That habit was the habit of joy. Through Christ, so can we, so must we. We need to learn what Paul had learned. We need to discover, as I've said, what Paul discovered. It's a choice that we make. It doesn't really matter what kind of circumstances you face. It matters what you habitually think and what kind of attitude you habitually adopt which will, by the way, be based on what you actually truly believe. Think about that. You, we say we believe in Jesus. What do we mean when we say that? And is that belief transforming our lives and changing us and helping us to choose Jesus, to choose joy rather than falling into and being succumbed to whatever the circumstance might be. Yes. Yes. 
You see, here's the deal, church. Joy will not seek you out and come to you in the form of a better job or a financial windfall or the perfect love relationship or the ultimate acquisition. Joy will not come and find you. You want to know why? It is not looking for you. If you want lasting, unfading joy, you need to recognize that it's a choice that you make. It is a habit that you develop. And so I would just simply say, I, like, I came across this a while back. I wrote it down, went back to it, and put it into my notes here. You need to stop studying the problems and start studying the promises. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yeah. In the first chapter of Paul's joy-filled letter to the Philippians, we come face to face with his bold, joyous confidence, which begins as he always begins his letter with the heartfelt greeting. And, but in the process of that greeting, we're taught that joyful means being thankful. Look at the first couple of verses with me now. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As he does in all his letters, Paul begins with customary gracious greeting. Just try to picture with me, try to image in your mind uh, that a letter initially being delivered to the people of Philippi. We learn in chapter 2 of Philippians that it's being brought to them by a gentleman by the name of Epaphroditus. He's a resident of Philippi. He has been sent to Rome because the Philippians had taken up an offering to help Paul in his house arrest situation. And so Paul has sent him back with this letter. They get the scroll and they open it up. The very first words they would have seen were actually names, Paul and Timothy. Now, I mention this because these were, would not have been strangers, not a couple of guys trying to impersonally lead and tell them how to live their lives from a distance. These were loving shepherds, beloved friends, brothers in Christ, whom they were so, so thankful for. And although Timothy is mentioned, it, the scholars let us know that it, he is probably not involved literally with the writing of the letter, since throughout the letter, Paul uses the first personal singular throughout. So it lets us know that Paul's the one doing all of the writing. So we might ask ourselves then, why is Timothy mentioned if he wasn't involved with the writing of the letter? Well, because the Philippians would have had fond, joyful, thankful memories of that wet behind the ears, young intern who had just joined Paul and Silas just prior to their arriving in Philippi. Timothy would have been there when Paul shared the gospel with Lydia down at that place of prayer at the river. 
Timothy would have been there when Paul cast the spirit of divination out of that slave girl that caused such a great uproar in the city of Philippi. He would have been there when Paul and Silas were dragged off to prison. He would have been there when the church grew despite Paul and Silas being beaten and jailed. No doubt Timothy, whether he wanted to or not, had been forced to step up. Step up and begin to lead the best he could in the absence of Paul and Silas. Now, over a decade later, Timothy is still at Paul's side. Don't you love that? Still there, kindred spirit of proven worth, as Paul will say himself later in this letter. In a day when celebrities and athletes are built up to be bigger than life, idolized and worshipped, we find a stark contrast to Paul's own humble label for himself and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Another term in other translations will choose the word slaves for Christ Jesus. It's the same word. Paul uses that Greek word, doulos, that gets translated servant or slave. The, me, the word means one who serves another to the disregard of his own interests. It was also used, as I said, to describe a slave in the first century. Paul's fond memories of the Philippians prompted him to follow this gracious greeting with some joyful thankfulness as well as prayer. Let's read on, verse 3. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Regarding the Philippians, there are no regrets. There is absolutely no sense, no, no feeling here of ill feelings, no unresolved conflicts. His heart was filled with joy as he reminisced about the times that he had spent with them 10 years ago at the time of this writing. But his thankfulness and his joy isn't just being stirred or inspired by mere nostalgia. Paul indicates in verse 5 that the Philippians were participants with him. They had been participating in the gospel from the first day until now, he says, in which means at the very moment that he's writing the letter under house arrest in Rome. Their commitment to Christ and their commitment to the proclamation of the gospel message of Jesus Christ never, ever let up. Not for a moment. And as I've already indicated, they did this through prayer, their constant prayer, and their constant giving and offerings to help support Paul in his missionary journeys. Notice the proximity with me, would you, of these two words, thank and joy. Isn't it interesting? There's a connection between the two. It's like, you're not going to ever have one without the other. It would be true even in our own lives and in our own behavior and attitudes. Thank 
and joy. We see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, another letter that Paul had written. It says, be joyful always. Two verses later, in verse 18, he says, give thanks. Be joyful always. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do you want to be filled with joy? Do you want to be filled with joy? With joy. Start saying thank you. <laughs> Start being thankful. It's impossible to be unhappily grumpy. <laughs> How do you like that? And at the same time, thankful. Can't do it. The two don't mix. You can't say, God, thank you for this job and remain a disgruntled employee all day long. You can't say, God, thank you for my friendships and remain critical of them all the time. You can't say, God, thank you for my life and complain about every inconvenience that you have to endure. When you start saying thank you, you know what you do? You close the door on this perpetual state of dissatisfaction. And you open a new door that leads to a consistently unfading joy that Jesus provides, wants you to have. There will always be things happening around you that don't go the way you want them to go. Have you found that to be true? <laughs> Yeah, this comes with the territory of being alive, right? Of breathing air. Your spouse, your friends, your boss, your living situation. But the truth is, the more you think on these things, the more you nurture discontent and frustration. And while there may be some things in your life that are less than perfect, there are a thousand things. Amen? There are a thousand things that are good and beautiful, incredible and memorable. Make it your practice to thank God for those things every day and throughout every day. Verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, that is an amazing promise. Don't you agree? An amazing promise. Because of the Philippians' past perseverance and present involvement and passion, Paul was confident in their future faithfulness. He had no doubt that God was at work in Philippi. <laughs> that he had plans for that church and that he was in control and would see them through to the very end. The Greek word that is translated as completion in verse 6 is a word which means to bring about a result according to plan or objective. 
the message puts verse 6 like this. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that God, who started this great work in you, would keep at it and bring it to, I love this, bring it to a flourishing finish. Isn't that good? On the very day that Christ Jesus returns. God had begun the work of spiritual growth, of ministry participation, and of faithful Christian witness among these believers in Philippi. And he would stay at it until either he had called them home individually, or as Paul is saying here and pointing toward, or until Jesus Christ returned, took his entire church home to be with him forever. Verse 7 and 8 now, it is right for me, Paul says, to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Don't you just love that terminology? Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Far from being a cold, let's get her done kind of apostle, Paul didn't hesitate to share his deep heartfelt emotions. The Philippians always held a special place in his heart. G. Walter Hansen provides clarity and understanding to the meaning of this phrase. He says, when Paul tells his friends that he has them in his heart, he is expressing more than a sentimental feeling. He is stating the commitment of his heart to give his life, to give his life for his friends. He says in verse 8, with the affections of Christ Jesus, to give his life for his friends. Their commitment to him through thick and thin and their participation in the gospel ministry only served to strengthen his own heartfelt commitment to them. They were more than friends. They were lifelong partners in Christ Jesus. Because of this, Paul longed for them. And I want you to see this, not just a few of them, you know, not just a couple of his favorites. I want you to notice how often he uses the word all in verses 1 through 8. He greeted all God's holy people, verse 1. He prayed for all of them, verse 4. He felt strongly about them all in verse 7. They were all fellow partakers of grace, also in verse 7. He affectionately longed for them all in verse 8. From the family of Lydia to the Roman jailer's household. From the elders and the deacons to the new believers. The deep love that Paul felt for the church in Philippi made his heart leap 
in his own chest as he yearned to spend time with them again. He's thankful and he's joyful. And so this profound thankfulness and love led to sincere prayers for the Philippians, which tells us that joyful also means being prayerful. Joyful translates thankful. Joyful translates prayerful. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me now. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. If we are truly joyful, we will be truly thankful. If we are truly thankful, we will be truly prayerful. As followers of Christ, we should never ever say, hey, you're in my thoughts. No, it should always be, you are in my prayer. And then mean it. (laughs) And then do it. Amen? Amen. Paul certainly did. His deep, joyful thoughts of the Philippians prompted him to pray for some specific things and actually things that only God could do and bring about. We need to understand that. Things that could only come from God. First, he prayed that their love would continue to grow and would be characterized by knowledge and depth of insight. The New Living Translation puts these verses like this. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Paul isn't telling the Philippians to let their love blind them to truth and righteousness. So they end up overlooking sin and compromising holiness. Someone was in a conversation the other day and they were discussing about kind of letting their guard down and letting, you know, some certain things that otherwise they would not have allowed to happen because of they wanted to such and such, you know, and, and how they wanted it to go. And, and so somebody else says, well, you know, we are supposed to love others. Wherever does the Bible indicate that love is to overlook and compromise with the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. That would be a false representation, a false interpretation of love, God's love, one that we often see in the world. True Christian love is guided by the best interest of others, not yours, theirs, as God would have it. With true knowledge and discernment, love, Learns to spot the phony, see the wrong, recognize the evil. It learns to discern what is best, pure, and blameless, as the Apostle Paul tells us. When the Lord Jesus returns, we will see that. We will have been living that 
so that when he arrives, you are found. Choosing him. Attitudes that reflect him. How will you be found? We know that his return is, can be any moment, right? How will you be found? What will your attitude be? Second, Paul prayed that they would be, look at verse 11 with me, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is referring to the righteousness of Christ, of course, working in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit to produce spiritual fruit in our lives. Can I ask you a question? What does your fruit basket look like these days? <laughs> Empty? Sparse? Are there some items in there that maybe are rotting and decaying? Or is it brimming with good, healthy fruit of righteousness? The result of such good fruit, good deeds, empowered by God, the writer tells us here, will be the glory and praise of God. I hope it would be my prayer that that is actually something that you are concerned about is your life for and being for the praise and glory of our God. Or are you having a difficult time getting your eyes off of you? Difficult time on yourself to get in the way. Jesus basically said the very same thing essentially in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and, and what? And glorify your Father in heaven. The second verse of Ella Wheeler Wilcox's poem, The Winds of Fate that I shared earlier, provides Yet another reminder about setting our sails for joy. Like the winds of the sea are the winds of fate. As we voyage along through life, tis the set of the soul that decides its goal and not the calm or the strife. While I don't put a whole lot of stock in fate, I do believe that apart from a confidence in the providence, ooh, a confidence in the providence and care of our God, the winds of strife can easily capsize our lives. And leave our souls drowning in despair. And this is why we must set the course of our lives, church, on the reality of a living faith that flows into abundant joy found only in Christ Jesus, 
our sovereign Lord. Amen? Yeah. May it be so in our hearts and in our lives for the rest of our days. Are you on board? Yes. <laughs> Good. Father, we just come before you. And maybe in some cases it needs to be with repentant hearts. As we've had to have been honest with ourselves as your Holy Spirit has come and shined its light on some areas in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives that has indicated that perhaps we have allowed our life situations, the circumstances that have been less than perfect in our lives to overtake us, to rule us, to overcome. That is not your plan for us, Lord. We have learned and we've been reminded today from the Apostle Paul, a new habit can be developed. An old one cast off, a new one embrace, the habit of joy. The habit of an attitude that says, doesn't matter what's going on in my life, good or bad. I choose Jesus and therefore I choose joy because you are the joy of our lives. And we've got you. Once we have you, Lord, and you have us, what else do we need in this life? You make all the difference. May that be the case for every single one of us. May we do business with you as we sing this last song and go and receive our elements of communion. May we do business with you, God, and allow you to come and have your way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.